Welcome to this episode of the Outfront Podcast with host Vince Noble, the podcast that gives emerging leaders and career transitioning individuals the information and inspiration to thrive and become their best. For sponsorship and advertisement opportunities, please contact info at nobleresolutions.com. And now, your host, Vince Noble. I want to acknowledge each and every one of you who is stepping into your authentic power today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Outfront Podcast, the show that gives emerging leaders and career transitioning individuals the information and inspiration to thrive and become their best. I am your host, Vince Noble. Hey, I am super excited on today. As part of this very special Veterans Day episode, we have the distinct pleasure of having with us Lieutenant Commander Trina L. Martin, retired Naval Intelligence Officer. As always, before we get started with these extraordinary conversations, I want to say as much as I love how intellectually stimulating they are, they are meant to do far more than pique our intellect. They are meant to drive us into meaningful action. So as you listen, our guests are not solely on this show to promote themselves, their services, or products. However, in large part, to motivate, to provide significant insight and actionable steps to engage you, thereby helping to shift you from one level to the next. So I encourage you to listen and think about how you may make a difference No matter who you are, it is my greatest hope that you find tremendous value in today's episode. Trina Martin is currently a communications technology consultant, keynote speaker, and author of the book, From a Mess to Amazing. We have a lot to unpack on this episode, so let's go. Welcome to the show today. Thank you, Vince, for having me. Wonderful. Hey, so before we begin, let me start by saying from one veteran to another, happy Veterans Day. And I certainly thank you for your 30 years of faithful service to the citizens of the United States. And uh, there are very few of us that truly understand the level of personal commitment and sacrifice. So I truly say thank you for your service on today. Well, thank you. And thank you for your service as well. Thank you. So Trina, for those who may not know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your early life experiences, your influences and um, the work that you do today. Well, as you said, I am a recently retired Naval officer. I have 30 years of service in I spent 20 years in the IT industry as a computer programmer, working for major corporations, maintaining their systems and programming, 
Today, I am the founder and COO of Trina L. Martin Technology Consulting. I'm a mother. I have two beautiful teenage children, and I am just really happy and at peace now, but it didn't always end up this way. It wasn't this way, and my life didn't just go every way I planned for it to be. I am uh, the youngest of four children. I am born. I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, I was an introverted little skinny girl, and I had a mother who was verbally abusive, and that really destroyed my confidence and my self-worth, just the things that she would say, the words she spoke to me, I could feel the venom in them. Um, it was just crazy how every day I would have her, she would tell me how ugly I was, how I wasn't a good daughter, how I wasn't good enough. And then it would really just destroy me as I sat back and looked at her and saw how she was so kind and loving speaking to other people's daughters, but yet she didn't speak to me that way. And I remember as a little girl going to her, being so excited and wanting to talk to her about my day and how I got the look of just disdain and disgust and like she was just irritated. So that upbringing made me a type A and very driven person. I was the first in my family to go to college. I checked all the boxes and I traveled the world. I joined the military, but things just because of that, not knowing my self-worth, I made some bad decisions along the way, some poor choices, poor choices in relationships and um, hoping people would love me who didn't. And it really took a lot of work and building up my own self-confidence to get to be the woman that I am today, someone who is whole and who is confident, who as a leader who has spent those 30 years in the military and going on to use my platform and my business to mentor other young girls. Oh, that's wonderful, uh, Trina. Thank you for uh, being uh, so transparent today and sharing that with us. And and I would say that, um, you know, you truly uh, are an embodiment of what this show is all about. Um, I always have to ask our guests during this time, how are you doing, you know, during this pandemic, spiritually, emotionally, you know, sort of financially from a business perspective? What do you find most challenging? Um, and specifically, how are you dealing with it? Um, I have to say this pandemic, first of all, I started out the year getting COVID. Um, back in February, I actually went to Italy for duty and someone on the plane was sick. We ended up getting diverted and I started getting sick when we, and cause we ended up, instead of going straight to Italy, we diverted and I ended up spending the day in Iceland, started getting sick there. By the time I got to Italy, I was just very bad off. Um, got to Italy, touched down, went to the Naval um, Hospital, and basically they told me to go quarantine myself in the room. And it was it was very scary because I was alone and in a foreign country, and I actually I felt like I was going to die. I had all the symptoms that mm. they were saying with COVID. So it was very it was very touch and go, but. Today, something that's more just very challenging for me to deal with um, is the fact that I have my children at home going to school. And as I said, I have two teenagers. 
So that could be a bit of a challenge because they're used to interacting and being with their friends. But because of COVID, I chose to keep them home and which I'm glad I did because both of their schools have been just giving reports every week of a new COVID case in the school. Business-wise, I've been blessed. This has been a blessing in disguise for me because not only did it cause me as well as the world to stop and be still for a while, Mm -hmm. it caused me to really think, and that's when I decided to retire. But my business, I pivoted from what I was originally doing, which was more of leadership whereas I had to go back to my first love and my my skills, my foundation, which was technology. And that was something that I saw the need for that people needed to use that in their business who didn't know how to use technology because they never had to do it before in the capacity that we're doing it now. So in a lot of ways, COVID for me has been not so good, but then it has been good on the other hand. Right. That's uh, that's interesting. You said that you pivoted and and oftentimes, you know, I always say, you know, you can pivot the wrong way and uh, and get yourself hurt in a way. Um, but a lot of individuals are forced to pivot during this COVID um, environment. Um, but prior to that, you really have to you know take some some time to engage in some deep introspection and assess um, some other skill sets that you perhaps uh, were not utilizing in a way uh, that will cause you to begin to navigate in a way in this new uh, environment, if you will. Um, so, uh, Trina, wh- where did you first develop, you know, this ambition to enter into the military service? Was it was it something intentional that you always wanted to do, or what? Um, it it was something that I had kind of always considered, but I ended up going to college straight after high school and I was self-financing my education. So I completed a year of college and I realized that I needed some help and I knew I couldn't get it from home. So seeing the, my college mates, there's a lot of them were in ROTC and going through the military and in the reserves and doing things like that to help pay for college. I said, oh, well, this is something that I need to do. And I went in thinking, okay, I'm just going to do this. It's going to pay for my college education, and then I'm going to be done. Little did I know I would sit here 30 years later, over 30 years later, and Mm -hmm. saying that I've retired from the military. So that's how I ended up in the military. And, again, plans don't go the way you plan for them to go, but Mm -hmm. they go the way that, I guess, God, you know, directs our path. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, as you said, 30 years ago, that's, that's some time ago. So, uh, you know, in 1990, the, the San Francisco 49ers won the Super Bowl. The, the, the San Antonio Spurs were world champions. And, and there was the old R&B singer, Keith Sweat. He had the number one R&B uh, be, uh, a record out at the time. And then you joined the military. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think was your key driving force that sort of empowered you down the path of a 30-year military career? In other words, what enabled you to 
sort of wake up every morning with the same dedication, um, with the same execution, uh, performing that mission over 30 years. What, what was that? What was that? What do you think that driving force came from? It was my desire to impact others and bring about change. There was a lot of things that I saw in the military that I didn't like. Um, as far as leadership, I experienced good leadership and I experienced poor leadership. And like anything else, unfortunately, I have to say the, the, bad leadership outweighed the good leadership. So that was something that I said I wanted to change. But I went in as an E1 enlisted. I was enlisted for 14 years before I got my commission. So I really value that. And I saw that other people, my as I ended up becoming an officer, I saw that the enlisted people that I led really respected that. And I wanted to be an example for them. I wanted to impact them and the enlisted that didn't think that they could, I wanted to be that face to show them that, yes, you can be enlisted and still reach that height of becoming an commission officer. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I know you mentioned that, um, you know, you was uh, near the end, you were traveling uh, in Italy what were your tools of duty and service um, or any other overseas assignments? I've had several overseas assignments. You know, Italy, I've been to several times. Japan, Korea, I was in Cuba, can't talk much about that. And several places. I ended up in places that I never thought I would end up in, like Latvia and Turkey. I've had duties with NATO and foreign military partners like um, the Japanese Navy. Um, I sat beside the Korean Navy. So I've really been in some positions that not even I thought that I would be in. So it's really been, it's been an experience for me. Yes. And that's certainly one thing that, um, that I often uh, say is that the military definitely will afford you the opportunity to experience some things otherwise that you perhaps would not never have the opportunity to. So are you the first woman or family member in your family um, to, to have served? Um, I'm not sure whether I'm the first woman or not. I think I am in my immediate family. I am the first person to serve, but I have a uncle who served in Vietnam and I have a great uncle who served in world war two. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you have, you know, many successes as you spoke of in your career. Uh, but if you had to, you know, point out one single thing, what has been the most satisfying moment in your career and why? You know, um, the most satisfying thing in my career was actually, and I touched on it a little bit, but actually having enlisted personnel tell me that I was the best officer that they had that they respected me and that I inspired them, um, which was, which was great. Um, I actually put out a post when I got my retirement certificate and I believe that's how we contacted. And one of the enlisted that I had just recently served with, she responded back and said that I was an inspiration to her. So Mm -hmm. that really brought joy to my heart. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things I often tell people is all the time is that, you know, at the end of the day, 
Um, it's all about those experiences and, and relationships uh, that sort of make us and, and, and make the difference. Um, so what has, what has been, you know, your favorable uh, memory while in the service though? You know, when I was working with NATO, I was stationed, I, I was over in um, Sweden and I was working with NATO and I was working with all these different foreign partners and my counterpart that I was working with, she was from Ireland and she, female officer. I think we were equivalent in rank. She actually was like one of the only female officers in the Irish Navy, but she actually was the commander of the ship and her and I became good friends and we were just talking and she was so um, just so excited to be serving next to me that she was like, wow, you know, this is so special. I ended up giving her one of my covers with my rank on it. And she was just so ecstatic about that. She was so happy. She was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to cherish this. It's really great. So that was a great memory for me, just knowing that I was sitting beside someone from a foreign country, but yet we worked together flawlessly. We end up becoming friends and I was able to give her a token that she could take back and just look back for the rest of her life and say, I served with another female officer from the U S mm -hmm. Navy. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wonderful. So, you know, although as leaders, um, we are, we are quite, uh, results driven and, and there are many successes and accomplishments, you know, however, you know, we also look for things that, um, quite frankly, needs to change or to be fixed. Um, what has been your greatest issue with serving in the military, um, from a senior female perspective? Um, just that being a senior female, um, oftentimes more times than not, I was the only female in the room, the only black female in the room and the highest ranking person in the room. And, it, you know, it's funny because I would sit and look around and I would be going, wow, I'm the highest ranking person is in the room. Oh, I am the, the female in the room and I'm the only black officer in the room. So that was something that was um, challenging because you find people who would challenge that, who would, not like that. I've had a couple um, men officers who, for some reason, they decided that they would pick on me, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and the only thing I can think of is with one, because I look younger than what I am. So I think they just assumed that I was some newbie on the block that had, mm -hmm. a, you know, had been given a rank and they wanted to test me. And little did they know, okay, I've been around for a very long time. You may be one rank above me, but I probably have more time in than you. And when people found that out, they would do a, a double take and stand back and go, oh, wow, um, you have that. And then, of course, I've come across some racism. And then you have some people who, you know, don't want to render the salute because whatever, they don't feel that you know, they should salute you or you're not the person who they like to see in their eyes. So I've come across all those different things. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so can you give us some accounts on specifically uh, in some instances, how, how do you, or how did you more specifically deal um, with situations um, when they occurred at that moment in time? You know, I'm, I'm the type of person I, I'm pretty direct. So I'll deal with something right then and there, especially if I see that it's ongoing. So in the case of the male officers who decided to take it upon themselves to um, challenge me, mm-hmm. I ended up basically going toe to toe with them, telling them. And I, and I remember this one officer that sticks out of my mind when I was deployed he was nowhere in my chain of command. He actually was working something totally different, but for some reason he decided to hone in on me and decide to tell me what I needed to do. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't work for you. And I'm the head person over here. You're over there. You, you have no reason to come over here and tell me anything. And, you know, he tried to pull rank and say, oh, this, that, and the other. And I said, well, hey, this is how it is. And it got to the point where it got escalated. So I had to take it to um, the the director who was a civilian retired person. But then I also took it to the 06. And they told him the same thing. They were like, basically, stay in your lane. She doesn't work for you. And she's right. She doesn't have to do what you're trying to make her do. Um, so you have things like that. And, and I've had a couple instances that were similar to that. And it just really boggles my mind how someone just decides that they want to step out of their lane to tell you what you need to do when they're not even in your chain of command. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so important that you would share that. Um, you know, the truth is I think is important to, uh, have those sorts of discussions, even with our subordinates, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be specifically into name at that particular time. Uh, but I think it's important to um, teach our subordinates early on how to navigate, if you will, uh, friction in the work environment. Um, will alleviate a lot of things from escalating or becoming much larger later on. You know, one of the things that that I know that service members, um, they struggle with owning their transition on both sides, both officer and, and enlisted, especially from a senior enlisted perspective, I often say that you have to own your transition. Um, you know, and speaking of your transition, was it, was it difficult for you to transition back to, you know, complete civilian life? Um, and even from a, a transition assistance perspective, was it tailored enough for you specifically as a senior uh, a leader, senior female leader? Uh, was it specific enough uh, for your needs? If so, um, what was it? Um, as far as the transition assistant, no, it wasn't tailored to being a female officer. I mean, they give... They give the high level, basically things that you can read on. So I wouldn't say it's anything that's um, just outstanding. Um, As far as my transition as of into retirement, I had kind of been planning on it 
I had originally planned to retire a few years from now, but like I said, in in the midst of COVID and actually being able to get still and start doing some reflection and thinking and thinking about how I wanted the second half of my life to go, I was ready. It was time. But there has been times coming from deployments and, and being overseas that coming home, it was a transition. I remember being deployed for two years during the war and coming home and my children who were very young at the time, um, three, two and three, my son, who was the two-year-old, basically he had to relearn that I was his mother because I had been gone. Um, so that those are the type of things that I had to deal with is the, you know, coming back home and reintegrating myself into my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's wonderful. You would say that reintegrating, um, you know, back with my family. And oftentimes I'm asked, how long does um, reintegration takes place? Uh, and my response is, is always, however long that it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, re- reintegration for one person may be something completely different. It may be a three-year process of reintegrating, uh, depending on the specific needs of the individual and family. And that's why I spoke to, um, was it tailored enough um, during your transition? Because one of the things I know that, again, as I said, um, on both sides uh, of the equation from enlisted and, and um, officer perspective is um, individuals struggle with their transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially from, from, a, from a leader perspective, uh, when you turn in a phone for the last time and no one's no longer calling you, there's a, there's a bit of a um, anxiety or separation anxiety there to go along with your transition. Mm-hmm. Um but again, I often say you have to own your transition, um, but and expect it to be hard. Um, expect your transition to be hard, but but nonetheless, you have to own it. Um, and I think that um, with all the services, um, they've taken some great strides into in improving the transition assistance services. Um, but from a lot of individuals' perspective, it, it has turned into this. Um, cookie cutter approach, if you will, um, that did not specifically speak to the the individual needs as they uh, transition from the service. So one of the things I would ask you, again, from a a female perspective, if if there was one single thing that that you could identify, because one of the things, again, I know is that uh, women veterans have a unique, you know, healthcare needs. What would you say uh, needs to change from a healthcare perspective, and what do you wish would have been available um, to you from a veteran administration perspective or um, a community resource perspective? It's, Say again. It's sort of it's similar to what we were just speaking about. Um, something that's more tailored, but for women, and and I'm big on mental health, but for women, women have a different need, just like I was saying, the reintegration to my family. Right. Even though men have families and they leave them, it's a different perspective when you're a woman and you're a mother and you leave your children because 
you're you're leaving your children basically and the military makes you sign all of these legal documents to basically right. hand over your child to someone else. Right. And that was something that was really um eye-opening but yet disturbing for me because I was thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm I'm legally giving my child to someone while I'm gone." And that that is something that's a psyche thing. Um, so you have to, you're, you're going off and you're trying to do your job. You're going to places where you're like, okay, I need to have my head right so that I can live and come back home. But then you still have that. Well, you're worrying about what's going on at home. Like me, I missed two years of my children's life. You know, my son didn't speak for like two years after I got back because probably the transition of me being gone while he was so young. So I think from a VA perspective and healthcare standpoint, I think they need to start focusing more in on that. I think we're so caught up in the PTSD, which is, is real and is valid. But then we also have other components that people suffer from anxiety. Anxiety is a, a, a big thing that I suffer from. Um, anxiety, um, the, the, like I said, the mental aspect of, okay, I'm gone. I'm leaving my family. How are they doing? But yet I have to continue on to do my job and, and complete this mission. So I think they need to really sit down and focus in on that. And not every ailment is a physical injury. And I know the VA, they like to, you know, well, did you get hurt? in a line of duty, what's wrong with you? You know, everything is not a physical injury absolutely, and that they need to recognize. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what piece of advice would you give um, to someone, you know, maybe even perhaps your peer or subordinate um, that are transitioning uh, from the service in the next 90 to 120 days or so? I would tell them to really just get focused and really plan, plan out how they want their next chapter to go. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of people, they're not, and when I say plan, I don't mean like, okay, what I'm going to do with job, whatever. I mean, your mindset as well, Mm -hmm. because a lot Mm -hmm. of people, they retire and they get out of the military and mentally they're not ready for it. Right. Time wise, years wise, they're like, okay, I can retire. But mentally, they really struggle with what am I going to do? Okay, should, you know, I have nothing, nothing to do. I don't have the people that are reporting to me or I don't, I'm not reporting to other people. So really plan on how you want your next chapter to go. Are you, is your mind right? Is your family together? Are you ready for being at home? with your family on a day-to-day basis? What's your next step? Are you going to start a business? Are you going to look for a job? Are you just going to be in retirement and be happy and go that way? So there's a lot of things to consider and you have to make sure you have these things set up in place before you drop that paper and then you get home and you're going, okay, what did I do? This is not what I expected. Right, right, absolutely. And so and to that point, you know, it, it goes back to, as I said, you know, sort of taking the time to own your transition, 
for most service members, you know, determination of service is not abrupt. In other words, you know either um, when you're going to terminate or you're not going to uh, re-enlist and you're going to decide to terminate. And so that may be a, um, you know, three to five year process, just like anything else. In other words, like you said, what do you see? Um, and then plan accordingly and, and then really own that transition. Um, and, and then when it gets down to the, to the, you know, even from a financial perspective, you know, the, you know, 24, 36 months out before um, you decide to terminate, are you disciplined enough um, to anticipate uh, the gaps in your pay, if you will? Um, are you disciplined enough to anticipate you know, if you don't go right into that job, you know, 30, 90, 120 days that you terminate service. So in other words, you know, again, it's, it's owning that process as well. So from your perspective, what would you say the biggest mistakes or misconceptions um, that you see service members make during their transition? The biggest mistake that I would say is service members often think that, okay, my next journey is going to be easy. I've served in the military. I have these skills and I won't have a problem getting a job. Mm-hmm. And yes, you have served and yes, you have skills that no one else has, but getting a job in private sector is not going to be as easy as what you think. One, not every business or company appreciates your service. And two, If they do hire you, they're just checking a box, but they may not really value what you're bringing to the table or even want to know about what you're bringing to the table. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. And I know that was a a struggle of mine as well as, okay, I'm a leader. I'm an officer. I got all this years and experience. I've done this, this, and this, and this. And then I got a job where it was like, okay, whatever. Um, I had a sergeant that I served with during the war and he recently retired from the army a few years ago and I was asking him the same question I said how how did your transition go how was it for you what are you doing and he said oh you know what I'm just I'm in retirement and just enjoying life when I retired I tried to get another job and I figured okay I have this experience I have a security clearance he said a company hired him but then he wasn't doing what he thought or felt that he should be doing. And when he inquired about it, basically they were like, you know, oh, well. And he was like, okay, well, I quit. You know, I I really don't need the money, but I don't want to be, I don't want to spend my days coming to a job doing something that I really am not happy doing. Mm-hmm. So I think service members often think that they're going to be valued on the outside and that they won't have an issue getting employment. And that's not always the case. So you have to be aware of that. And I'm not trying to be a downer, but be aware that it may not go the way that you think, or you may not be valued the way that you should be valued. So you got to have your mind right for that and decide what you want to do. If working for a company or business is what you want to do. Do you want to start your own business or do you want to just enjoy your retirement? Those are things that need to be taken into consideration. 
Right, right. I agree with you. Um, but but again, as I, I as I spoke of uh, previously, you know, I think it's I think it's important for um, when it gets down to the transition assistance there to to help um, individuals transitioning from the service uh, to to spend some time specifically getting more focused. I guess from a, from my inventory perspective or interest profiling perspective on what it is I, I really want to do and then focus in on that um, versus versus sort of chasing the dollars, you know, when I when you decide to terminate, because oftentimes, you know, this mindset, um, especially for the individuals that that um, potentially um, don't draw retirement income. You know, because there's, there's this perception that that most individuals have that have never served. When they hear a veteran, they they tend to group them all in one. But a, but a preponderance of service members that that leave the service are not retirement eligible, if you will. So many of them are forced to transition into um, other employment. But again, that's that's owning the process of determining um, what it is I really want to do, and then also taking inventory of your skill sets now and refocusing those in a way versus where where am I at and and where I want to be um, versus versus getting out the service and then sort of kind of scrambling around trying to figure all that out. Um, would would you speak to that a little bit? Oh, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, mm-hmm. the the skills that you gained in the military are not always transferable to mm-hmm. a company or business. So again, you got to think about what you have. What are your skills? What new skills do you need to pick up to um, complement what you have? Or you know, are you totally at a loss? Because you and I both know that. There are some jobs in the military that don't translate at all to any job Mm -hmm. outside the military. So, again, that's something that you need to take stock on. You know, have you been going have you gone to school? Have you gotten an education? And it's always um, amazing to me when I find people who have been in the military who have not taken advantage and gotten any kind of education. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, like you were saying, taking stock, taking inventory and preparing, to me, that's one of those things that you should be preparing for. You should know that, okay, eventually I want to retire at 20 years, whatever, and here's the steps that I need to take to set myself up for Mm -hmm. a better second half of my life. And, you know, I've come across a, a naval person who spent 20 years in the Navy and did not have a degree and they spent their whole time in Virginia. And I was thinking, okay, you were in Virginia. This was a female. You're in Virginia. You were married, have children. Virginia has like everywhere you turn, there's a university. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm like, there was no excuse for this. And it just, it boggles my mind when I see people like that, because for one, you're not taking advantage of what the military is offering you, but two, you're not thinking about your life afterwards and, Mm -hmm. and the things that you can do to prepare yourself. 
Mm -hmm. What would you tell another, uh, you know, female about to enlist or commissioned in the Navy? What would you say to them? I would say, um, get ready, um, mm -hmm. get yourself together, be strong, be able to stand up straight and just have, have the head on your shoulders for what you're going to face, because it's not going to be all roses, but you got to be able to stand and be accountable. And it's funny you ask this question because um, two years ago, I have a niece who was finishing up college and she had been talking to a naval recruiter and they had sold her on the, oh, you're going to be an officer, blah, 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 because she was getting a nursing degree. And I was going to go, I was going to swear her in. And I remember flying to Arizona where she lived and the night before the swearing in, you know, I'm telling her, you know, I'm talking to her and I'm like, okay, are you, are you really ready for this? And then in the midst of the conversation, she's telling me how, oh, I don't like to be told what to do. And I looked at her and I was like, you do know where you're going, right? Hmm. And she was like, oh, well, my recruiter told me, you know, I will never be like that. You know, I'm, I'm going in as an officer, but and I said, honey, your recruiter is lying to you because mm -hmm. you may have a degree and you may be going in as, uh, as an officer, but you're the lowest thing on a totem pole. And she said, well, I'll be in the hospitals. And I was like, yeah, you're still the lowest thing on the, <laughs> on the totem pole. <laughs> so, you know, and she just could not get that. And, you know, and I told her, I said, you know what? I said, I'm not swearing you in. Um, mm -hmm. I would be doing you and this country a disservice because you have a false sense of, what it is to serve. And she called the recruiters the next day and they came over trying to, and I said, look, don't try to sell me on it because I, you know what? I've been there and I, I know what you're doing. I know you want to get the numbers. You want to get her in. I said, but what you're telling her is wrong. You're telling her that, Oh, you won't have to go through this. You know, you're going to be a nurse and everything is going to be gravy. And you're it's like, no, that's not, that's not reality. So again, and what I tell anyone going into the military, and especially female, you're going to be torn down to be, you know, built back up. And if you can't take it, if you got thin skin, and, and I really say this to my females because I hate to see the females that are the whiners and, you know, the crying, you have to put your big girl pants on and be ready for it because it's going to come at you and they're preparing you for the career in the military. So you're going to have to just buckle up and show people what you're made of. Absolutely. I, th I think that was some great mentoring you gave her uh, and it was certainly per perhaps timely. Um, you know, I think men mentorship, you know, the shift on mentorship, if you will, um, it, it makes the difference. And, and especially from a, a junior officer perspective, junior enlisted perspective, mentorship can make all the difference in the world. And, um, you know, even I tell retirees, um, now after they retire and, and they're, they're still uh, somewhat located by proximity, um, still get involved with, um, you know, junior officers, um, that you still make, you know, come in contact with, um, you know, across the installation or junior, uh, enlisted members. Um, 
because we have a lot to offer as, um, you know, old gray beards, if they, if they call us, right? Um, but I often say if you deliver it, and most of you have had some great successes throughout their, you know, 20, 30-year career, um, and now you look at it, you're no longer in the formation. Um, but you have still a lot of great value to offer uh, to the next generation of leaders. And to often say if, if you delivered massive value in your area, you still need to duplicate the blueprint through a mentorship program. Um, so I still encourage that. So if, if Lieutenant Commander Trina L. Martin had a chance to start her career all over again, what would, what would you do so differently? You stole my thunder. It would be um, <laughs> getting a mentor. Actually, um, I, I, I thought about this, and that was one of the things that when I joined back in 1990, I didn't know. I didn't know what a mentor war was, and I didn't mm -hmm. seek out a mentor. If I had to do it all over again, I would seek out someone to be my mentor, someone who could have helped me navigate my path that I was going, someone who I could have went to for wise counsel. And I didn't have that. And a, and a lot of the things I did, well, everything I did was on my own and getting the bumps and the bruises and the scrapes. Whereas if you have a mentor and you have someone to guide you and kind of help you and say, well, you know what, instead of taking this path, why don't you kind of go this way to end up where you want to be? That's a great thing. So I wish I had have been wise enough to know that a mentor was something that I needed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, I would say certainly that's a spot on. Um, and I often say that I thank God for all of my mentors uh, because they helped me spot out opportunities that I didn't see for myself. Uh, and so mentors make all the, all the difference in the world. So before we transition and talk about your book and some other stuff that you're, you, you're doing, um, you know, before we transition to that, um, what is the one thing that you would say um, that people need to know about um, women veterans today? Women, women veterans are, I mean, they're coming with it. I, I sit and I look and we have women that are fire, fighter pilots. We have women that are on subs now. Um, so the women veterans of today are not the ones of back in the day where they were only nurses or clerical people. You have women veterans who have really done some things and, and served. And I think that should be commended. Um, not just because they are women, but because again, you have the women who have stepped out of their box, who have either deferred having a family or who have left their family and sacrificed to do these things. So you have, you have women, like I said, in some powerful positions and, it's just amazing to me. I, I had the honor of meeting Admiral Howard about three or four years ago. And for those who don't know who she is, she is the first four-star female admiral of the Navy. And she is a black woman. 
And at the time where I, when I met her, she was the number two person of the Navy. So she was the, the vice chief of Naval operations. And she, you know, she just talked about some of her, her struggles that she went through in her career. But you look at, you know, she's a, a someone who I look up to. So I look at her, you know, you have a four-star female admiral, the first ever. And then you look at fighter pilots and you look at women who are in subs. You look at women who are standing right beside men on the combat, you know, in combat on the front line. So mm-hmm. when you see a, a woman veteran, don't assume that she had some kind of clerical job or she was just, right, you know, right. a, a nurse or anything because she's probably, you know, she's probably a bad sister. So you, you have to absolutely. give her, her, her props. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, across all the services, um, yes. you know, women are serving and full combat operation capacities. Um, and, and many of them are leading those formations. Um, so definitely times have certainly changed. And again, um, on this very special, um, Veterans Day episode, you know, I truly do thank you for your service. So, Hey, let's talk about, um, your recently published book a little bit from a mess to amazing, uh, seven steps to creating, um, the life you deserve. I really love that title. What was your inspiration for the book? Well, first of all, thank you for um, the compliment on the title. The inspiration for the book was my life. Um, about 10 years ago, I hit what I consider the lowest point in my life. It just, it gets to a point where I didn't know whether I was coming or going. I had, I was just feeling really hopeless and helpless in my life. I was going, okay, here I am, this, you know, college educated, got a master's degree, a naval officer, all of these things. But yet I felt like my life was just not worth living. I, I, I was like, okay, I, I checked the boxes on the outside. I looked great, but on the inside, I was a mess. Mm. You know, I felt depressed. I, I was, you know, going, okay, I'm, in a situation that I didn't like, I had gotten divorced, I had small kids. So all of these things seemed like they were just culminating and happening at the same time. Then I started struggling and thinking about my childhood and how that played and had an effect on me and, and actually led to some of the poor choices and bad decisions that I made in my life. So I really started to beat myself up and not forgive myself. And it really started to weigh on me very heavily. And I had never thought about writing a book. Don't consider myself a writer, but all of these things started to happen. And it really, I really had to take a step back, get myself together. I started back going to church. I sought counseling and I said, you know what? I'm not the only person who has dealt and felt like this in life. There are other people So I decided to write the book and I ended up being very vulnerable in the book and actually more vulnerable than what I thought I would have been in the book. But as I got to writing, I said, you know what, I'm going to share the story. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be transparent because there's someone out there who may be feeling the same. And what I wanted the reader to get from this book is, although you have 
made mistakes in your life and poor choices and bad decisions, your past doesn't dictate your future. Absolutely. And there's no need for you to feel helpless and hopeless. You're human. You make mistakes, but you have to get up and you have to keep going. Don't beat yourself up. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Forgive the people who have done you wrong and hold your head high and keep going and don't let anybody condemn you. So regardless of what you've been through in the past, that does not dictate your future. Your past can be a mess, but your future can be amazing. Absolutely. That's, that's wonderful. And, um, I I certainly know that that, that book will certainly um, bless a whole lot of individuals there. Um, and, and thank you for, for sharing that um, story with us. You know, oftentimes a lot of senior leaders are not uh, willing um, um, to become more transparent, if you will. Um, but what I find out in my own experience is that um, when we have the willingness to become transparent um, and to share those low moments or those dips, those emotional, psychological uh, emotional uh, dips that we are are experiencing as humans um, that allow you to connect um, with your subordinates in a way you otherwise would not have Uh, just do that transparency. And so really, I I thank you for sharing that um, with us today. So for those who may be looking for your book, um, tell us a little bit, where can we uh, purchase your book? You can purchase the book from Amazon Barnes and Noble, I have, the book is in print form. You can get it on Audible. So I'm at, I actually read the book on Audible. So you can get it on Audible. You can order it from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of the other um, book outlets. You can get it. So it's it's available everywhere. Mm, okay, thanks. So, so um, if you could wave this magic wand today, this magic stick, um, which are the three things that you would change in the world that are going on today? So much is going on in the world today, <laughs> especially <laughs> at this at this time that we're in, mm. right? Like right present day. Um, but the first thing I would change is the humanity in the world. Um, I think there's a lot of negativity and a lot of noise going on. And I think there needs to be a lot more humanity going on. People need to respect other people, regardless of race, creed, color, whatever. And I don't think that there's enough of that. I think there's a lot of condemnation and a lot of judging. And we, we don't see other people as human. We're not respecting other people as our fellow man. And I think, um, that's something that needs to change. That's something that I would change. Um, that would be the first thing. The second thing would be empathy. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the humanity, but empathy for empathy for people, because so many, so many times people are going through things or experiencing things in life. And then you have people who look down their nose at them or figure, oh, well, I got mine this way. You get yours that way. Or I'm, I'm not going to, you know, 
give you anything. And a lot of times people are not asking for you to give them something. They're just asking for a hand up, not a hand out. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's something that we need to be more, um, more giving, more sensitive to. And then the last thing is um, the race relations, uh, especially in this country, um, as far as the racial divide and racism. And it's just, it really pains me because here we are in 2020 and I have to sit back and think about what century are we in? Because some of the things that we're experiencing and we're actually witnessing you just you just don't believe that in 2020 we're still going through these things um i had to sit down and talk to my children about coming home alive basically about if they're approached by a police officer what to do what not to do and mm -hmm. how i i need them to get home alive and you know anything that goes on that i'll handle that you know, but get home alive. And it's really sad that I have to have that conversation. I have to tell my son that, you know, don't go outside with a hoodie on, keep your hands out of your pocket um, because, you know, he's going on to being six feet tall and he's, you know, a young black man. Mm -hmm. um, so that no mother should have to do that. And no one should have to be afraid of walking the street. I mean, I'm even afraid if I get pulled over, you know, driving by a cop, you know, I'm always going, okay, okay. It, it, what is this? Is this mm -hmm. going to be something that's going to be <laughs> a negative experience or what? Um, and I just think that no one should have to live that way. So the humanity, the empathy and the racial, um, issues that we have are, are things that I would definitely change. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, one of the things I often say is, um, be it real or perceived, um, we definitely have some social issues, uh, particularly in America that, that really needs to be addressed. Um, but you know, I often get ins inspired, um, by when I see, um, service members transition from service and, and continue to be the change agents that they know to be. Um, and, and they go and take up rightful uh, positions, um, if you will, within communities and, and be the example and exercise in leadership, even at the grassroots level, at the community level. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be on... Um, the national or the state level, if you will. But I'm, but I'm often inspired by when I see um, change agents um, within the community and, and their service members and taking up leadership positions, if you will. Um, and I'm, I'm often, again, inspired when, when I see that. Um, being the change and the difference, um, you know, that you want to see uh, within your community. Um, so Trina, so, um, before we go, one of the things I would ask you is also is, um, um, 
you know, what can we expect to see from you in 2021? What do you see? What is your vision? What are your, uh, as we would call it, your vision board? What is it that you got planned? You're in your team. What's, what's exciting on the horizon for you? Oh, have a lot going on. Well, I, I am part of an anthology, so I'm, you're going to see that coming out as far as me being one of, um, several authors of an anthology. I'm doing that. Mm, I, something that's near and dear to my heart is helping girls of color pursue technology careers. So STEM, um, there's not enough people in, and I got into the career field long time ago and still women of color are underrepresented and I'm trying to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, the business front, you'll, you know, once we can get back out again, you'll see me speaking on some international stages and I'm doing my, my, my business, which is bringing secure communication technologies to small and medium sized businesses to help them communicate securely, especially in this day and age with their clients, customers, and employees. So those are some of the things that we have going on this front and, you know, for everyone to be looking out for. Hey, that's wonderful. And so um, we're definitely going to be keeping our eye out for you. Um, so before we go, how can we, um, or how can people connect with you in some way, some of the things you've done either online or through social media? Well, first of all, I have a podcast It's called Trina talk and it's on iTunes and every other um, place that you can listen to podcasting. Um, my website is trinalmartin.com. So if you're ever in need of a communication technology solution, um, or you looking for a keynote speaker, that's where you can connect with me. And as far as social media, my main platform is LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me there, that'd be great so that we can network and Send me a uh, in inline mail if you have something specific that you want to um, ask me or collaborate on, and that'll be great. Wow, wonderful! So Trina, listen, it has definitely been a pleasure, and uh, again, thank you once again for joining us today. Um, you have certainly, you know, represented yourself well, your family, uh, and the country well. Um, And again, we look forward to seeing and hearing more from you. So please come back and check on us soon. I will. And thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. So thanks, everyone, for staying with us. We certainly hope that you enjoyed today's episode. So make sure you join our Facebook group, Out Front with Vince Noble. And don't forget to comment, rate, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download or listen to your podcast. Until next time, remember, you still get to write your own life story.